Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that loves queer content and is queer content. Oh, yeah. Today we have Laura, Julia, and Colin. And today we are talking about our favorite queer content, why it's our favorite, and generally celebrating queerness. Um, so we're going to talk about TV shows, movies, books, pretty much any way you can consume media. We've got you covered. I guess, I don't know why I put this here. I think <laughs> I think I just was excited. Uh, so basically, we <laughs> divided this up into like the different genres, but... I I just have two creators who I'm kind of obsessed with who are married to each other, so I just wanted to shout them out really early, and we will bring them back up a little bit later. Uh, but um, so Noelle Stevenson, who for clarity uses they and he pronouns, is the creator of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power and Lumberjanes, which started as a webcomic series turned graphic novel and now about to turn TV show. Um, they generally are a trans lesbian icon. Uh, his wife, Molly Ostertag, is also an author and has written several queer graphic novel, uh, comic book type things, including Girl from the Sea and Witch Boy. And Witch Boy is about to be turned into a feature film through Netflix. Um, and these are both like very queer content things. And... Very importantly, uh, <laughs> Molly created the best fanfic of all time, uh, or at least the best one I've, like, at least in terms of how it's actually written and the artwork with it, just because she is so talented, even if, like, I would love to see more fanfics from her in general, uh, she does a beautiful one of uh sam and frodo from lord of the rings and it just should be celebrated everywhere <laughs> that's amazing this is also i guess since this is queer cartoonists i do have two other queer cartoonists that i want to shout out um one is allison bechdel who people yes. probably know um but she wrote fun home and also this older comic called dykes to watch out for both are amazing kind of about just like growing up queer in a small town and what that's like, how that impacted like her relationships with her family. Um, and then also Matt Lipchansky, they are um, a political cartoonist and comic creator who does some great leftist work that you've probably seen on Twitter, but if you haven't checked them out, they're also great. Yeah, you should also definitely follow them on Twitter because their takes are very Yeah, funny. for sure. Hell yeah. I do end up mentioning one other one later, but uh, I just want to also mention Tilly Walden because I have mentioned her on other episodes, but she's incredible um, and wrote On a Sunbeam, which is one of my favorite queer books of all time. But I didn't get into it in this one because I know I've mentioned it on other ones. <laughs> I was like, let's try to switch it up, Laura. Everyone knows you're obsessed with She-Ra and, uh, <laughs> and these things, but I, I, I am who I am. What I love can it. We say? It's important for Pride Month to <laughs> mention it again. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, speaking of books generally, uh, that was kind of the first genre that we were going to tackle. And so I know I mentioned this on a recent episode, but uh, I just finished this book called Cemetery Boys. 
It is so good. And one of the reasons why I love it is because we don't have enough content with happy queer endings. Um, And what I mean by that is we don't have enough queer stories that end with the queer characters getting real happiness and support. Um, And Cemetery Boys follows the story of Yadriel, who is a trans boy and Latinx brujo. He summons a ghost and, you know, adventure and gayness abound. I don't want to give too much away, but uh, the story is just so well told. And I think it really combines um, culture, like the Latinx community that he's from in East L.A. And it also just is so gay and so good. Uh, I loved every minute of it. In a similar but different vibe, and I think we we will continue to have this similar but different vibe for a moment, Uh, I just finished this book called House in the Cerulean Sea, Um, and basically it's a young adult fantasy vibe as well, um, which I think fantasy and YA books are well suited for queerness generally, so I tend to be drawn to them, and so the the general premise is a stuffy man goes to investigate a home for magical children and is surprised by his findings. The children and their dashing father figure teach the more rigid caseworker type another way of living. And basically... <laughs> Yes. I just was like, when you were, your notes for this, there was like a dot, dot, dot. And then I was like, oh my God, do the father figure and the caseworker like date and get married and yes. live happily ever after. Yes. That's amazing. I love it. And and you kind of know that just based on the tone from early on. So I feel okay saying that. Um, but there's other like queer themes like the gnome character. There's only boy gnomes and she's a girl gnome and they don't really go into that. But like it, it feels like a trans coded character for sure. And but she's like very welcomed in the home that she's in and stuff like that. Um, it's really cool. Yeah, like another, so I, I figured I would talk a little bit about another YA fantasy sort of sci-fi novel, which was recommended to me by a coworker called um, Gideon the Ninth. It takes place in a, like a, a post-apocalyptic version of our solar system. It's got like gay necromancers bending bones and shit. It's got like life or death stakes. It's got humor. It's got spaceships. It's got a couple of sequels, one of which is already out and one of which I think slash hope comes out this summer. Um, highly recommend. Um, and just to like, you know, not only recommend YA stuff. Um, this is the best. I, th- I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just, to give people options. Um, I also recently read Girl, Woman, Other, which is a book. It's won tons of awards, including the mm. Booker Prize, which is a big prize in Britain. Um, the author, Bernadine Evaristo, was the first Black woman ever to win it, which fucked up Britain. But anyway, um, it follows a bunch of interconnected characters across Britain and its former colonies. Um, most of them are Black, but not all of them. It deals with like queerness, transness, family, gender, race, and empire. All of the characters are either women or non-binary. Um, it's really good if you're like, I want to read a book about gay people, but I'd like them to be old enough to legally rent a car. <laughs> yeah. No, it is true. It's very, very good to have adult stories too (laughs) um so i appreciate that 
Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this one uh, comic series slash uh, graphic novel called Heavy Vinyl, just because it suits us very well as a podcast. Love it. it. Um, It's essentially a group of Antifa queer feminist types who run a record store by day and fight the patriarchy by night. And the art is amazing. And the entire story is amazing. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, I was thinking about when we were kind of putting together what we wanted to talk about for this episode, just how, like, cool it is that there actually are queer YA books now, because I feel like that's very new. And, like, at least when I was growing up, I didn't know of any. So most of, like, my first encounters with queerness in art were, like, books that I had to read in school that were, like, (laughs) maybe, like, coded or I was like this seems kind of gay but like they weren't as explicit necessarily um so I wanted to talk about some of the more kind of like classic literature that I read in school um and then some of it later in college I was an English major sorry everyone (laughs) um so that's kind of like what I feel like my sort of first like artistic encounters with queer and trans narratives were. I feel like you're really classing up the pod right now, Julia. So thank you for <laughs> thank that. Thank you so much. I just like um, had a moment where I'm like, uh, weirdly, like a large percentage of my close people in my life were all English majors. <laughs> wow. I don't well, know. I think, I think, I don't know what it is. I'm not we're very know. nerdy, but I, I like to think we're, we're pretty okay. Um, Marty, can you... <laughs> We have a cat sighting, everyone. We have a cat sighting. So extra today. Um, Anyway, so these may be things that people have heard of, probably, um, but in case you haven't read them and you want to read like an old timey gay novel, these are some of the ones that have been important to me. So, first, I wanted to mention Orlando by Virginia Woolf. Um, I think this is the first book I ever read with a trans character. They're not like explicitly described as trans in the book, but this was written in the 1920s and kind of like at the very beginning of when transness was kind of being experimented with and defined in a similar way to how we understand it now. So it's definitely like a concept that people at the time knew about. Um, So people might know that Virginia Woolf was bisexual or queer and one of her longest relationships was with another writer, Vita Sackville West. Um, They had an amazing like horrid affair that there's a lot of great media about that as well. Um, But Orlando is Virginia Woolf's love letter to Vita, and it kind of explores this character who is born in the 1500s and then is kind of like immortal, like they just keep living until the book ends in like the 1920s. Um, And they change gender multiple times. They kind of go back and forth depending on like the context and what would be most helpful for them in what they're doing and like who they're in love with, who they want to hang out with. Um, It's a very strange book, even by today's standards, I would say. It's very far from like a typical narrative novel. Um, But basically the whole plot is just like this character Orlando is really hot and everyone wants to have sex with them regardless of their gender. It gets them into a lot of scrapes with like queens fighting over them (laughs) or like, yeah, there'll be like a woman who's like, oh my God, like, I love you, but you're a woman. Does this mean I'm gay? And then like later they're a man and they're like, okay, like now we can hook up. But then like it sort of causes a lot of characters to question their sexuality, um, experience some queer attraction. So I kind of read it as like 
a book about what you could do with your identity if you had truly unlimited time because they live for like 300 plus years at least. Um, and basically just how their their views of their own gender and sexuality change kind of depending on like social norms and their own desires at the time, which I think is kind of, even for today, like it can be unusual to see such a fluid narrative of gender. Um, and it also has a very happy ending, which is kind of unusual, definitely was very unusual at the time for gay narratives. That's really cool. Yeah. And there is just on the Virginia Woolf subject, um, there is a cool Twitter account I wanted to shout out called Vita and the Vita and Virginia bot, which I think is just at Vita Virginia bot. Um, and it just tweets out snippets from Vita and Virginia's letters to each other. Uh, it's very cool. Worth checking out if you like gay content, which I have to imagine you do if you're listening <laughs> to our episode. Um, it's also I'm, cool like, to going to follow this right now. Oh yes, yeah. It's also cool to me because it's like a Twitter bot that sends out bits of historical documents. So like naturally, for many reasons, I'm into it. Amazing. Um, also, uh, the Vita and Virginia movie is also good. Um, I just I don't have it on my recommend so I just like obsessively watch all queer content but like (laughs) so it's not I've seen almost everything that there is to be seen but the the reason why it's not one of my favorites is the acting is a little intense because um they portray uh Virginia Woolf's mental illness pretty intensely um but I think it is cool that they tried to capture their connection um, and I hope someone tries again, TBH, because it's it's a really cool uh, historical and uh, gay storyline. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the next one I want to talk about in kind of a similar vein, because this is a writer who happened to be friends with Virginia Woolf. Um, they were in like the same writers club in the 1920s. Uh, So E.M. Forrester, he was openly gay to his close friends at the time, which was like becoming more normalized at the time, but still was kind of unusual. Um, And he couldn't be fully out in public, really, as like a somewhat famous artist. So he wrote this book called Morris in the early 1900s, but it wasn't actually published until 1971, which was like after he had died. And he basically was like, I'm not going to try to publish this while I'm alive because it's going to be too controversial it won't be worth it um so it's a very kind of like tortured teen romance type of book i think it has a lot in common with like call me by your name and things of that vein it's kind of about like a younger queer person who's working class and an older queer person who's a little bit more set in their identity um like meeting each other and kind of trying to figure out what it is that they're feeling Um, But it also has a happy ending. So that's, again, kind of unusual and something that we don't see enough of. I feel like if you like Jane Austen, but you just wish that it were explicitly gayer, you'll probably enjoy this book. Um, And then last but certainly not least, I wanted to mention The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Um, I think most people probably know who Oscar Wilde is. If you are gay, he's a bit of an icon for us. But... um, I think like, he, yeah, so most people might know that he was put in jail for being gay. Um, he also was denied medical treatment while in jail, which probably probably contributed to his early death. So cops have always sucked, abolish prisons, et cetera. Um, but if there's any chance you haven't read this book, I highly recommend it. It's basically just like 
a romp of sex, drugs, and selling your soul for eternal beauty, which is a great combination, in my yes. opinion. Um, it's So when the book was published, Dorian Gray, who's the main character, was kind of read as a villain. And it's definitely possible to read the book that way because he does, you know, he kills a few people. He does some fucked up things. But Oscar Wilde also described him as the man I would like to be in another time, perhaps. Um, and I think reading Dorian as a gay character, it becomes more clear that he's not intended to be a villain so much as someone who is forced into these situations and like some of these violent acts become what he feels like are his only option because of how much he's being like ostracized by society just for being himself and being gay. So yeah, mm. great book. Wow. Very powerful. An iconic character to be sure. Um, uh, along the same lines of like older books, I wanted to mention Juna Barnes' book Nightwood, um, which is kind of coined as the first lesbian novel. Of course, it's hard to know if that's actually true, considering how deeply hidden a lot of these themes were, but it's often no noted as such. Um, and I just wanted to shout out, uh, do a little brag about the way that I figured all this out because I didn't know who she was because I was not an English major. But I consume a lot of media because it's like my favorite thing to do. And I was watching this movie, Midnight in Paris. Um, like, yes, Woody Allen movies, whatever. We could talk about it some other time. But uh, anyway, it's a good movie regardless of that. And um, Owen Wilson kind of is the main character and his character gets transported back to a different era um, in Paris. And in that era, uh, he's kind of in the in the era of Hemingway and all of these other incredible authors like F. Scott Fitzgerald and stuff like that. And there's this one moment when uh, he is dancing with someone and then he walks away to go say hi to this woman he's cr crushing on. And his crush asks him if he liked dancing with Juna Barnes. And he responded, Juna Barnes, no wonder why she wanted to lead. And literally that line alone, I was just like, who the fuck is this person that they're trying? Because like the whole point of the movie is that they're like tapping into these like historical figures of prominence and so I was like that is how straight people talk about gay people <laughs> so uh <laughs> anyway I ended up looking her up and voila it was true yeah totally I think one other uh early lesbian novel that people often reference is The Well of Loneliness by Radcliffe Hall um I haven't read all of this book and honestly I don't I don't really actively recommend it to people because it's very sad. It's kind of like the book that invented the stereotype where like the lesbian dies at the end type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it is, it was very important. And Radcliffe Hall is like, definitely was like a genderqueer person and their work is very interesting. So it could be worth checking out if you're interested in like the historical aspect of all of this. Hell yeah. So I think we're going to switch into a bit of a different media <laughs> and Let's talk about it. movies. First up, I wanted to just mention this like weird uh, movie that you pretty much can only get by like paying for it from the creators, which like it's not that expensive and then you have it forever. 
Um, but it's called the Car- Carmilla movie. Uh, it started as like a TV series, but I like the movie best. And um, it's created and starring Elise Bauman and Natasha Negovanlis. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know that's probably not the correct pronunciation. Anyway, so um, I love this movie. Um, I know I did a brief rundown of this in our vampires episode, but just as a refresher, everyone is gay, even the ghosts. There's non-binary characters, vampires, vampires who become human, and then vampires become human but give up their human lives for ghosts to be at peace, and it's all gay. Um, You, like, everyone is queer and generally femme. There's a ton of different queer relationships and dynamics throughout the movie, Um, including domestic struggles, desires, conflict with your booze ex, who may or may not happen to be some sort of demon of the nightmare underworld. Your booze ex. Ooh, yes. (laughs) I just got that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And there also may or may not be a queer sex scene involving lots of Victorian era clothing, and it is so steamy and so good. Uh, and I just I just love it. I think it's really fun. And similarly, along the lines of like very, very fun, um, I love Debs. So um, Debs is pretty classic. Uh, it's basically about a bunch of crime fighting teens trying to take down a mark uh, who ends up being a hot uh, queer villainess that is like you know isn't actually bad but like is labeled a villain by all these things or whatever and the head of this deb's team which is like a pseudo cia type operation but only women falls in love with the villainess and uh it's it's really really fun um it feels like it was a very low budget movie but (laughs) it's really really fun i love it And then I wanted to recommend the movie Pride. I only saw this movie somewhat recently. People have been recommending it to me for years, and I I don't know why it didn't, like, fully stick with me until somewhat recently. But it's based on a true story, and it's about a group of leftist queers. So it's really, really, really fun and definitely, like, something I think we all would really like. Basically, a group of queers out of London decide that they want to show solidarity with the minors who are on strike Uh, in a rural part of northern UK and they raise money and awareness for this group of miners who frankly does not know what the hell to do with a bunch of poofs uh you know Britain am I right but uh you know bigotry is defeated in the end because class solidarity is real and uh it's really really cool and I love I especially love that this is like a feel good story that is based on a on a real thing that happened. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, and then, you know, I we got to talk about Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I love this movie. I know lesbians deserve better than period pieces from before electricity, but it's so <sighs> good. And I know for sure that Kellen has seen this one, too. So. <sighs> 
Yes, I so it's I just like want to reminisce for a second about the context in which I saw the movie. It's February 2020. Little did I know it would be the last time I was in a movie theater for at least like a year and a half because I still haven't been back in a movie theater yet. Right. Um, I was there with Zoe. Um, we smuggled an entire bottle of white wine into the theater and like sat next to each other, just taking swigs from the bottle. Um, I cried like a fucking baby at the end. It was beautiful. It was the perfect last movie experience. Um, oh yeah. And I, <laughs> I should also say, I didn't know it was in French until I got there <laughs> and like, no one was speaking English. And after like two minutes, I was like, Zoe's this whole movie in French. And they were like, yes. Um, so thank God for subtitles. Um, and, uh, another little thing that I like about the production of the movie is that this star the blonde one um Adele Hanel um whom uh after I got I like bleached my hair recently Laura was like oh you look like Adele Hanel and I was yes. like I know this isn't true but I am here yes for it. you I do you, you, you do so look like her the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me it wasn't um, even only me who noticed anyway it's fine <laughs> <laughs> so Adele Hanel and the director Celine Siama um were together like dating for a long time um but they broke up before the movie was made and apparently they still have like a great relationship they obviously made the movie together and I just think it's like the gayest thing of all time or like maybe I should specify like the most lesbian thing of all time to be like oh yeah I'm gonna make a movie all about gay yearning with my close friend who is also my ex from a serious years-long relationship yes that it's so true um so additionally, I feel like it's worth noting that they all walked out of the French movie awards together when a pedophile won an award. It was very iconic. And Adele's ex was like holding her purse for her as she cursed out this man and walked out. It was. Yes. Yeah. It was like it was when Roman Polanski, who, if you don't know, like raped a teenage girl and it's, it's everybody like knows that it happened, um, won the Cesar for best director. It was like right before the pandemic this happened, right after Portrait of a Lady on Fire came out and Adele walked out yelling bravo pedophilia and like clapping loudly. Um, and then, like Laura said, the director came out, her co-star from Portrait of a Lady on Fire also like ran out following her. Incredible. Yeah. And there's just pictures of like everyone around Adele who's clearly just like fuck everyone she's like, so mad holding all of her stuff like holding her like <laughs> it's so she I, just like didn't take anything amazing. with her just like yes. ran out was yeah. so mad yeah so it definitely was like because I also feel like that's a dikey thing to do is just like carry other people's shit for you or whatever like it's <laughs> it's powerful um, you know, on the topic of lesbian period pieces before there was electricity. <laughs> um, so Ammonite came out, it came out with uh, uh, some mixed reviews because, um, A, we all had just received Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is a superior movie, first of all. It just, like, objectively, I think, is a much better movie, both in storyline and how it's shot in the... I think it also you can tell when characters are actually queer or not and playing queer characters. However, that being said, um, Ammonite, the two main characters are Saoirse Ronan and Kate Winslet, who are obviously both incredible actors. And I just need to say that the part of the well, the movie is still really good. And the other thing is I need to shout out Saoirse Ronan sitting on Kate Winslet's face. It feels like it's probably the most 
accurate depiction of lesbian sex I've ever seen in a movie, um, even though it's two straight women playing these characters. I just like want to point out, though, that the way that they went about the sex scene is so gay to the point that I'm like, are you sure you're straight? Because yeah. like <laughs> Kate Winslet, like wanted to do the sex scene on Saoirse Ronan's birthday to like literally quote like make it special like I'm not just to be clear I'm not making any of this up this is all documented this is all stuff they said to the press they didn't have an intimacy coach for the scenes which means there wasn't like somebody choreographing telling them what to do where to go the two actors figured out and planned all the choreography themselves and said that they did like doing so felt extremely natural and that being women they just knew what would feel good for women and they just wanted it to be like a really special experience that they could share together so wow i love that so much wow so it's even gayer than we ever could have possibly imagined (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i I feel like I've always been a Kate Winslet stan, so it didn't take much for me to be pushed in that way, but powerful. Um, So the next movie I want to talk about is called Rafiki. So this is a Kenyan queer film. It won a ton of awards. It's not necessarily feel good, but it is so beautifully shot. There's a lot of pastel pigments in the clothing and the hair. It's very intoxicating. Um, And it's basically about these two women who are from rival political families, but find ways to connect and love each other nonetheless. So think gay Romeo and Juliet vibes set in Kenya and shot in the most beautiful way you can imagine. And it's also like probably a good like antidote to the what if we just kept making movies about white women who didn't have indoor plumbing. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's definitely like a much more modern, (laughs) modern day (laughs) romance, too. Yeah. Um, So the next uh, movie, which is also a book, and I read the book and the book is really good, too, um, it's called The Miseducation of Cameron Post. And I normally wouldn't po- put it on – I w- normally would not put, like, s- such sad things on the list, but it is so good that it kind of overcomes that in some ways. Um, the acting is very good, and the style is amazing. Love the- Chloe Gase Moretz. Yes. Well, and um, I just feel like the the – characters themselves are just really powerful it is about a gay conversion therapy camp set in the 90s but very quickly the main characters all find each other and it's more about their friendship like growing and smoking weed in the woods uh, (laughs) than anything else although the conversion therapy vibes are obviously very fucked and on the subject of conversion therapy vibes. Yes. Uh, I We have to obviously talk about, but I'm a cheerleader because it's a yeah. classic. <laughs> I mean, how, how could you not? I'm sure many of our listeners have seen this one, but I feel like it's just worth shouting out because... You'd be surprised. So many of the people I date because yeah. I'm always like... I'm always like <laughs> We need to watch every gay film ever created. And they're like, what do you... Okay, first of all, why, Laura? And then they're like, half the people have not seen it. And I'm just like, what? I hadn't seen it until quarantine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I do feel like... I don't know. It's like it, it did come out a while ago. I guess when I was growing up, I feel like it was one of the only like explicitly 
lesbian mm-hmm. teen movies. Mm-hmm. And so it was just kind of like the one that everyone watched. Um, yeah. And Natasha Leone is amazing. She's so hot. And yes. I'm pretty sure she's a leftist or like yeah. on her way there. She's a really good Twitter follow. And she has kind of like a great chaotic Twitter presence. Um, unfortunately, she is in a relationship with Fred Armisen, which I don't support, but I forgive her. <laughs> yeah, we must as she carried us through. But I'm a cheerleader and also Orange as the New Black as an absolutely iconic homosexual. And I think one of the reasons why this movie is so important and iconic is for a couple of reasons. Um, One, it's one of the first times ever that queer people are openly making fun of homophobia in media like this. Um, If you haven't seen it, it's a very gay conversion therapy camp. Which Like RuPaul is like one of the people running it. Yes. Yes. Trying to convert the characters. (laughs) Like it's very tongue in cheek. Uh, So it doesn't feel like the miseducation of Cameron Post. It's like. It's not a realistic portrayal at all. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And they have all these ridiculously funny tasks for the youth to do to quote unquote make themselves straight. And of course, there's some tense moments, really only when it comes to parents, because obviously there is nothing funny about parents continuing to shut their children out for Mm -hmm. being gay. But um, really, the gays went out in the end in this one, and it is just always a movie that I go to when I'm feeling down in any way. (laughs) Okay, so another one that I wanted to say is Hearts Beat Loud. So it's kind of new. It has Nick Offerman as the dad who like owns this um, record shop in Brooklyn. And he's like worried about or like he has to kind of shut it down because of gentrification and whatever, whatever. Um, and the while the gay storyline is not the point in this movie, I love the acting and the storyline and the general vibes of the movie. And the queer characters are played by two actually queer black women, which is not always something that's prioritized in our stories. So I appreciate, like, obviously both of those things being represented um, in this story in a way that wasn't overly dramatic. Like, she never comes out to her dad. He He's just like, ooh, you seem interested in someone. Like, who is she? Like, that isn't even, like, part of the conversation. Um But in that way, it feels real because that is a lot of our experiences and it's represented within a larger good story. Yeah. Um, Okay. This is also like a throwback classic type of thing, but I wanted to mention Midnight Cowboy mostly because it's the only X-rated film ever to win Best Picture at the Oscars. Um, This is also one that like, the character being queer isn't like a big part of the storyline, but I think it's one of the first movies I ever saw and definitely one of the first like old movies that I saw where there was just like casually a queer character and it's like not really a big deal, mm-hmm. um, doesn't like negatively impact his life in any way. So it's based on a book by a queer author who also wrote a book called Season of the Witch, which I just thought was a fun coincidence. Um that. So it's basically a movie about a man who moves to New York to become a sex worker with sort of mixed success, but ultimately it leads to him like discovering his queer identity. He's bisexual. Um, He befriends Dustin Hoffman. It's overall a very sad movie, but there are some amazing like positive moments in it as well. Um, 
And I think it ends most happily for the queer character, which is also kind of unusual. Um, like bad things happen to some other people, but he's overall fine. Um, and I also just think it's an important movie because it was made right after the Hayes Code ended, which um, I have talked about, I think, many times on the podcast before, but it basically did not allow queerness to be portrayed in movies. So this was like the first movie that was like, we can be gay now and we're doing <laughs> it. Um, and then it won a bunch of awards and it kind of helped to usher in the more kind of like liberal filmmaking norms of the 1970s which is when like cabaret rocky horror picture show and things like that were made mm -hmm. um so it's kind of like an early step on the path to that um and then one other more recent one that i wanted to mention is tangerine which is one of my absolute favorite movies of all time it's really amazing highly recommend it um it's by the same director and writer who did the florida project uh which is more recent if you've seen that but it's basically just, it's kind of like a slice of life, like realist movie about two trans women who are best friends and they're sex workers. And one of them finds out that her boyfriend has been cheating on her and they go to confront him. And also one of them has to like make it to this gig that she's performing at. So there's just like a lot of like wildness ensues. They're like trying to make it to here and like trying to meet up at the donut shop and confront the boyfriend. Um, it's, it's a very fun movie. It also has some kind of intense and difficult moments in terms of like being a street-based sex worker is very hard and dangerous, but it ultimately is also a very just like happy affirming movie. And it also is trans actors playing trans characters, which like should be a given, but mm. it came out in 2015. So this is like way before Pose, like, this was really an early movie to be like, yeah, obviously this is a movie about trans people. Why would we not have trans people in it? Mm -hmm. um, which is great. And it's just, it's a really beautiful movie about like female friendship and how your friends are there for you no matter what. Love that. It's a great way to, to round out the, the movie section of our discussion. Um, yeah. So now we're going to talk about TV shows. So obviously we have to start with a TV show that is yes. everyone's favorite in yes. this coven, which of course I'm talking about Queer Eye. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, excuse me. <laughs> for, for the listeners at home, we have a document of what Colin's actually going to talk about. So we... Yeah, we so that was not in there. I thought it was a surprise. <laughs> I pulled a fast one on that. That um, was so cute. I couldn't resist making a Queer Eye joke. Um, <laughs> we do not stand Queer Eye. It's actually Love Island. Uh, I do yeah. love Love Island, and I have been watching a queer <laughs> Love Island queer season, and that there was one gay kiss. But regardless, I love it, and I loved every update you texted me. <laughs> yes, yes, season two of Love Island. Um, love Island's aggressively hetero for the most part, so yeah. would not recommend. Um, regardless, it has been keeping my brain occupied. Yeah, uh, sometimes that's all you need. But in terms of like queer shows, um, the one that I, the first one I want to talk about is Degrassi. Yeah. Um, and Degrassi was one of the only shows I watched in like high school that had representations of queerness that felt some of them. I mean, most of them felt like pretty real. Um, yeah. and I'm definitely showing my age by being like, yes, I watched Degrassi: The Next Generation, and no, I didn't keep watching after the original cast graduated. Um. Um, so yes, I did graduate high school in 2010, um, if you couldn't tell. Um, but they, yeah, they had a guy named Marco who was gay and out and like definitely faced challenges, but was like overall supported by his friends and had like redeeming 
you know, storylines where he got to date, he got to be himself pretty openly. Um, and they also had a girl named Alex who was queer. And she even briefly dated the high school's most popular girl, Paige. Mm. Um, and at the time, I could not have told you why I was so invested in Alex <laughs> and Paige's kiss scene, but I do know now. Um, <laughs> Classic. But like, I also think the way that they approached the Alex and Paige storyline was like a little damaging. I actually like went back and watched some Degrassi today. Mm. Um, and I think it was kind of damaging for me personally in the way that these women downplayed their queerness, even though I think it did reflect reality in some ways. This was like 2008, 2009. Like there's a scene where the day after they first kiss, the cheerleader goes, I can't do this. I'm not, you know, a lesbian. And the hot alt girl goes, and you think I am? <laughs> and what I took away from it watching is like whatever a 14 or 15 year old was that like, just because you wanted to kiss girls, like didn't actually make you gay. And like, I don't think yes. that was like a particularly helpful no. message for me. Right. I completely agree. Um, as someone who like my first kisses were with girls, it just was kind of normalized anyway mm. but mm. i did want to say a note on the new ones i haven't kept up with it too much but i know when i was in grad school so like in 2016 or so i was watching it and um one of the things that i really really liked is they have a very good portrayal of a non-binary character in my opinion um and specifically the character like gets help getting a binder and some other stuff that like I don't think any of the original portrayals would go mm -hmm. into something like that and it so there definitely was more like on the nose stuff but I couldn't watch it because of two things they like really go hard on the unhinged white boy who's gonna shoot up the whole oh, school yeah. storyline school shooting that is how drake ends up in a wheelchair famously right but also they do it uh, they, they do it again they do it again yeah oh, so like it was that was sorry. already really intense and then they do it like two more times in the oh new one God. like in addition to like a lot of other traumatic stuff so like Degrassi likes to be the thing that's like we're edgy and pushing the thing but like it's yeah. like almost like overly traumatic oh, sure. in the specific like fear of school violence and particularly yeah. violence from young boys that we know is real and founded uh we don't need to see it represented in that mm, way mm -hmm. yeah it's very much like a soap opera yeah. um uh but yeah, shout out to Degrassi, kept me company a lot of days after school and high school. Um, another TV show that I feel like we would be just absolute fools not to mention, and which actually was already mentioned, is She-Ra, the new She-Ra that's been on Netflix for the last few years. It's an incredible queer series, obviously. Um, I didn't know anything about the creator going into it. I started watching it like right before the last season was released. Um, and so I was just watching, not knowing a queer person was behind it and was like, okay, there's like definite sexual tension between Adora, who's like the main character of the She-Ra and Katra, who's her friend turned enemy. But I'm also very used to being like, okay, there's definite homoerotic subtext that will just never be realized in this piece of media. And I expected this to be the same. Um, but that's not how it works out. And so to have a show where these like, two powerful women come to recognize their deep love from for another one another like 
that was really, really cool to see. Um, and also shout out to stories where girls who are in love at an early age and don't realize it then get together later on. That shit hits me in the feels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I uh, additionally, I love that in she- in the in the world of She-Ra, almost all the characters are like queer coded in some way, even mm-hmm. if they end up with someone from the quote unquote opposite gender. Like everyone's gender is very fluid, like um Bo who's one of like the mm-hmm. masculine characters is not straight. Uh <laughs> like the way that he's coded is just not straight. Same with Seahawk, um who are the two like kind of mask characters. And then there's like two like a married lesbian couple who Bo have... has two dads. Bo has two dads. Like mm-hmm. there's just and and you know perfume and Scorpio's line that kind of tangles up together too. I just love that they're just like we're gonna make this as gay as fucking possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, which actually reminds me of uh, Shit's Creek, which we did not put on this list, but it's so well known that I was it's like, so, yeah, people yeah. got to know about Shit's Creek. But Schitt's basically, Creek. the yeah. thing I'll say is Dan Levy uh, made it in a world that did not have homophobia. So that was just not something that any of the characters ever encountered. Regardless, like they just made a story and there happened to be gay characters in it and there was no homophobia. It was awesome. So (laughs) I just finished binging the second season of Love, Victor, which just came out. Um, The second season just came out. Uh, It's on Hulu. And so this TV show is within the same world of the movie Love, Simon, which is based off of the book Simon versus the Homo Sapiens, uh, which I've also read (laughs) as well as the sequel. I'm like, it's too much. But um, I love, love Victor. Again, I like it because instead of having a white man character as the protagonist, it's a man of color, young boy of color. Um, So Victor is Latino and um, there's a lot of stuff that comes into play with race and culture and queerness. Um, But I love it. It's I think it's really good. Okay, so if you have Prime, which you probably fucking do, but if not, good for you. Um, There's this Prime original show called The Wilds, which is truly nuts. Um, It's basically like Lord of the Flies, but girls on an island, and uh, they're under surveillance on video cameras and like there's a bunch of really fucked up shit that happens like it's it's kind of like a suspense vibe but there is a queer storyline uh between two of the girls that is really really fun um and i i do love shows that like just happen to have a queer storyline uh in it as well and and Mm. this this show is is good if you're into like the suspense (sighs) thrillery type so there's a movie or there's a show on Netflix called Sex Education. The show is really, really funny. Um, it's British. And there's queer energy in a myriad of different places. Um, and again, I do love where this is a show that black queer people are highlighted in a way that isn't necessarily drawn attention to. But the representation is really cool. Um, there is some homophobia in the show, but it's definitely sorted by the end. Um Plus, Jillian Anderson is a sex educator, and it is <laughs> so hot. <laughs> um, 
So you may have heard of the TV show Shrill. It's a- so good. Yes. A.D. Bryant uh, from SNL plays the main character. Shrill is based off of a book by Lindy West. And uh, it's basically all about um, fat women moving through society. Uh, and there is a very, even though the main character is straight, played by A.D. Bryant, her best friend is a lesbian, and so uh, and and the lesbians play a very prominent part of the show. And again, like Fran is um, like a black fat lesbian playing one of the best characters I've ever seen on television, and uh, it's really really fun to see. So highly recommend. And a new season is about to come out. I think I think the new season just did come out. Oh, did it? I just, okay, cool. I just watched I it. it. Yeah, yeah, I haven't watched it yet, but I'm yeah, so excited. I, I, yeah, it's good. It, it, it's it is really good. And I I will just say like one thing for Shrell is that I think I mean there's so much media in which there's like a white protagonist who has a black best friend, and the black best friend is just there for the sake of diversity. And I think it would be really easy to like update that and be like it's a black best friend who's also gay and like, look at us, you know, patting ourselves on the back. But like Fran, who's A.D. Bryant's roommate has her own storylines. She's like a very important character. She's not just there to guide A.D. Bryant's character on her journey. She has journeys of her own. And actually she gets a lot more time in the new season um, alongside her partner who is a non-binary character yeah i couldn't remember their name but i knew uh, that was really cool that they did that too yeah it's also um it's just a really great show for like actual representation amongst the actors as well Mm -hmm. um patty harrison is in it she's an amazing trans actress Um, she's also the funniest person on yeah yes so good. Um, also, John Cameron Mitchell is in it, who created Hedwig and the Angry Inch. So that's like queer history Iconic. right there. Um, yeah, it's a great show. Um, so we got to just say the L word. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to specifically talk about Generation Q. I, so I haven't watched much of the original L word for two reasons. One, uh, my Catholic ass was like Googling it in the dark under my blanket uh, (laughs) and would like watch episodes when I was a kid, like secretly. Um, But also like by the time I like had fully come out, a lot of my friends were like, it's kind of a problematic show. (laughs) Uh, So I never really went back, but I obviously like have been watching um, Gen Q and, and one of the things that I know uh, the, creators of the L word Gen Q uh, were trying to make much more front and center is diversity of race, diversity of gender, and also um, diversity of cisness. Like obviously the original L word is very dominant in cis white lesbianism and generation Q is a a much more complicated thing. Although of course uh, it's, it's got its own things, but I love generation Q. I think it's done really well. I actually, yeah, I haven't watched much of Generation Q, but I have watched all of the original L Word. Um, This is just reminding me that I want to give a bonus book shout out to Ann Carson's Autobiography of Red, which is like the first book that the main characters in the original L Word like flirt about. It's like, oh, do you like this book? And she's Uh. like, yes, but I'm straight. Um, (laughs) And then they make out. But that's also just an amazing book um, and is very gay. 
but I just love how like messy the L word is. It is a very problematic show in many ways, but it's also just about like, it's kind of like a soap opera, but it's all about lesbians, which is like, <laughs> you know, that was like the first time that that happened. And it's mm -hmm. kind of cool to see like a messy, overly dramatic show that's like, but they're all gay. Hey, and like that's great and there are bi women in it which I think is also mm -hmm. cool like yeah. there's a little bit of diversity in that sense even though the like gender identity and racial identity is a bit more like uniform mm -hmm. um and just on the note of messy queer narratives I feel like I have to shout out um the bisexual season of are you the one which I am constantly telling people to watch if Zoe <laughs> were here I know they would also recommend it um if you like reality TV, and honestly, even if you don't, I really highly recommend it. It is 16 pansexual or bisexual people of all genders trying to figure out which of them have been like perfectly matched up by an algorithm and they never figure it out correctly. It's just kind of like, I mean, they, it's kind of like, will they figure it out by the end? But there's a lot of just messiness and like, Love you're that. my perfect match. No, you're my perfect match. It's very dramatic and great. That's what I'm going to watch after I finish this uh, season of Love Island. Yes. yes. So to round out our episode, we wanted to create our own little category called things that should be gay that aren't. And to be <laughs> clear, we probably could do an entire episode on this, but we probably should. Yes. Um, one thing I wanted to mention is Banditas, which is a movie featuring Selma Hayek and Penelope Cruz as um, outlaw uh, cowboy types in Mexico and it is so hot and uh, it's it's got to be gay it feels wrong that it's not honestly yeah. yeah I have to mention Bend It Like Beckham because honestly <laughs> yes. when we were putting together this episode I was like oh I have to talk about Bend It Like Beckham and then I like looked up the plot summary and I was like <laughs> oh wait they're like not actually gay but like but are they though but they are but, but they are it's basically like I, I think it was made in the 90s so it was like maybe they couldn't say it but it's basically about like two best friends who like meet and start playing soccer together and it's very like it's kind of like the soccer is a metaphor for queerness because both mm -hmm. of their parents are like I just don't want you to play soccer that's not what like proper girls do and it's like are you really talking about the soccer though it's a lot of like 18 year old Kira Knightley standing around looking bony as hell you know with yes. her pointy elbows <laughs> and her sports bra yes. um yeah good times Ugh. And in the similar soccer vein, I have to say she's the man. It's it's trans and queer canon. I don't care if it's yes. technically straight characters. <laughs> no. It just Channing Tatum is a bi icon in this movie. And like Amanda Bynes as a man, yes. Amanda <sighs> Bynes as a man playing soccer. Although it is interesting, Amanda Bynes talked about how like deeply dysphoric this movie made her feel watching it back. Oh, um, interesting. That, yeah, that it sent her into like a depression for a, a couple of months, like having to do the press for the movie because Whoa. she felt so uncomfortable seeing herself as a man, um, which is just, I think, another interesting statement on, you know, gender. Totally. But yeah, the movie I, feel, I saw gay. that. And yeah. yeah, I feel like that's just a good portrayal of how like yes like cis people also have deep held feelings about gender mm -hmm, that can be mm -hmm. messed with um okay I also wanted to mention Footloose which is also a little bit of a throwback but in a similar vein to Bend It Like Beckham it's about people might know it's like about a town where they ban dancing but dancing is like 
very obviously a metaphor for being gay. And like the whole plot line is this new kid comes into town and he's a great dancer. And like, there's this other boy who's like super proper and he's like teaching this boy to dance. And it's like, <sighs> there's like a straight romance thrown in sort of like half-heartedly, but it is really a love story between these two teenage boys and it's beautiful. Very similar to Bend It Like Beckham in that sense, where they're like, yeah. what if these girls just wanted to kiss their soccer coach and then the right. soccer coach kiss one of them, <laughs> but they were teenagers? Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, to conclude, I have to mention the song that absolutely should be gay, Stacy's Mom. Um, who's among us does not remember this hit from the She's got it going on. Stacy's Mom has got it going on. She's all I want and I've waited for so long. Um so this song should be gay and I I feel this like very deeply in my bones and like part of it is probably because this is like the song that I listened to like on repeat and sang in the car with like my best friend in high school who I was in love with um so maybe that's where this is coming from but I still feel like okay let's just think about it for a second there's a boy who's like in love with his girlfriend's mom I'm sorry that's boring there's a girl who's in love with her best friend's mom. That's interesting to me. And the the dad is like left. What if this is just a situation where it's all like women hanging out together. And like one of them is like trying to be helpful because her, her friends like dad is left. And so nobody's cleaning the pool. So she's like, I'll come over like Stacy, I'll help you clean the pool. Like, I know you're really suffering because your dad has abandoned you guys. And like, I want to do anything I can to help out because I'm a really good friend. But Stacy is kind of in love with this friend and the friend knows it. But the friend's like, Stacy, can't you see you're just not the girl for me? I know it might be wrong, but I'm in love with Stacy's mom. So in this scenario, Stacy is also this. gay and into her yes. best friend. Wow. Yeah, because Stacy being interested in the, the singer is an, a crucial part of the song. Wow. But yes. I just think it gets it's boring if it's a guy who's in love with of his course. girlfriend's mom. Like there's so many porns yeah. about that. Give this me Stacy's mom. It sounds like, like it could be a plot line on the L word, I just want to say. Like this would totally be <laughs> Shane like <laughs> hooking up with both the mother and daughter. I feel like that happens multiple times yeah. on the L Yeah. Word. I don't, you know, I don't think that we need to have have for the integrity of Stacy's mom the protagonist singer hooking up with I think that 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 could make it interesting I don't think we even need that which is implied in the heterosexual reading of it however in the like gay reading of it it can just be I know my best friend's in love with me but I can't do it because I'm in love with her mom and I'm reading into all the signs that her mom is giving me, which are probably not real because her mom just sees me as a friend. But like in my teen head, this this could legitimately happen. And her mom's probably bi. But like, is the mom bi? We don't know. Um, and so that's that's my reading of Stacey's mom. It is a gay song. Thank you very much. Oh, wow. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Well, if you'd like to support the continuation of queer content, you can slide over to patreon.com slash season of the bitch to give us your dollars. Uh, it is Pride Month after all. So if you're straight, especially, you just should be doing that. <laughs> um, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at season of the B. Uh, you can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or whatever, Apple Podcasts, but, you know, five stars only, baby. <laughs> and uh, I feel like that's it. Yeah. Hell yeah. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Yeah, Love happy you. Pride. Love, Love you. you. Love you. Bye.
Bitch.